0: when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches laugh large. Anyway. Stately clumped, All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said, yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Will Burns Carefully avoiding a book in his pocket, sweets of, which reminded him, by the by, of that Capel Street library book out of date, he took out his pocketbook and turning over the various contents rapidly, finally he, do you consider, by the by, he said, thoughtfully selecting a faded photo, which he laid on the table that a Spanish type? Stephen, obviously addressed, looked down on the photo showing a large sized lady with her fleshy charms on evidence in an open fashion as she was in the full bloom of womanhood, in evening dress cut ostentatiously low for the occasion to give a liberal display of bosom. With more than a vision of breasts, her full lips parted and some perfect teeth standing near ostensibly with gravity a piano, on the rest of which was, in old Madrid, a ballad, pretty in its way, which was then all the vogue. Her, the lady's eyes, dark, large, looked at Stephen, about to smile, about something to be admired. Lafayette of Westmoreland Street, Dublin's premier photographic artist, being responsible for the aesthetic execution. Mrs. Bloom, my wife, the prima donna, Madame Marion Tweedy, Bloom indicated, taken a few years since, in or about 96, very like her then. Beside the young man, he looked also at the photo of the lady, now his legal wife, who, he intimated, was the accomplished daughter of Major Brian Tweedy, and displayed at an early age, remarkable proficiency as a singer, having even made her bow to the public when her years numbered barely sweet 16. As for the face, It was a speaking likeness in expression, but it did not do justice to her figure, which came in for a lot of notice, usually, and which did not come out to the best advantage in that getter. She could without difficulty, he said, have posed for the ensemble, not to dwell on certain opulent curves of the, he dwelt, being a bit of an artist in his spare time, on a female form in general, developmentally, because, as it so happened, no later than that afternoon, He had seen those Grecian statues. Perfectly developed as works of art in the National Museum. Marble could give the original shoulders back, all the symmetry, all the rest, yes, Puritanism. It does though, St. Joseph's sovereign. Whereas no photo could, because it simply wasn't art in a word. The spirit moving him he would have much liked to follow Jack Tarr's good example and leave the likeness there for a very few minutes to speak for itself on the plea he, so that the other could drink in the beauty for himself, her stage presence being, frankly, a treat in itself which the camera could not at all do justice to. But it was scarcely professional etiquette, so though it was a warm, pleasant sort of a night, now yet wonderfully cool for the season considering for sunshine after storm. And he did feel a kind of need there and then, to follow suit, like a kind of inward voice, and satisfy a possible need by moving a motion. Nevertheless he sat tight, just viewing the slightly soiled photo, creased by opulent curves, none the worse for wear however, and looked away thoughtfully, with the intention of not further increasing the other's possible embarrassment, while gauging her symmetry of heaving embon point. In fact, the slight soiling was only an added charm, like the case of linen slightly soiled, good as new, much better in fact with the starch out. Suppose she was gone when he... I looked for the lamp, which she told me came into his mind, but merely as a passing fancy of his, because he then recollected the morning, littered bed etc., and the book about Ruby, with met him pike horses, in it which must have fell down sufficiently appropriately beside the domestic chamber pot, with apologies to Lindley Murray. The vicinity of the young man he certainly relished, educated, distingué, and impulsive into the bargain, far and away the pick of the bunch. Though you wouldn't think he had it in him, yet you would. Besides, he said the picture was handsome, which, say what you like, it was, though at the moment she was distinctly stouter, and why not? An awful lot of make-believe went on about that sort of thing, involving a lifelong slur with the usual splash page of letterpress about the same old matrimonial tangle alleging misconduct with professional golfer or the newest stage favourite instead of being honest and above-board about the whole business. How they were fated to meet, and an attachment sprang up between the two so that their names were coupled in the public eye, was told in court with letters containing their habitual mushy and compromising expressions, leaving no loophole to show that they openly cohabited two or three times a week at some well-known seaside hotel, and relations, when the thing ran its normal course, became in due course intimate. Then the decree Nisi and the King's proctor to show cause why, and he failing to quash it, Nisi was made absolute. But as for that, The two misdemeanants, wrapped up as they largely were in one another, could safely afford to ignore it, as they largely did, till the matter was put in the hands of a solicitor, who filed a petition for the party wronged in due course. He, Bloom, enjoyed the distinction of being close to Erin's uncrowned king in the flesh, when the thing occurred in a historic fracas, when the fallen leaders, who notoriously stuck to his guns to the last drop, even when clothed in the mantle of adultery, leaders, trusty henchmen, to the number of ten or a dozen, or possibly even more, than that penetrated into the printing works of the insuppressible, or no, it was United Island, a by no means, by the by, appropriate appellative, and broke up the typecases with hammers, or something like that, all on account of some scurrilous effusions from the facile pens of the O'Brienite scribes at the usual mudslinging occupation reflecting on the erstwhile Tribune's private morals. Though palpably a radically altered man, he was still a commanding figure, though carelessly garbed as usual with that look of settled purpose which went a long way with the shilly-shallyers, till they discovered to their vast discomfiture that their idol had feet of clay, after placing him upon a pedestal which she, however, was the first to perceive. As those were particularly hot times in the general hullabaloo, Bloom sustained a minor injury from a nasty prod of some chap's elbow in the crowd that of course congregated, lodging some place about the pit of the stomach, fortunately not of a grave character. His hat, Parnell's, was inadvertently knocked off and as a matter of strict history, Bloom was the man who picked it up in the crush after witnessing the occurrence, meaning to return it to him. And return it to him he did with the utmost celerity. Who, panting and hatless, and whose thoughts were miles away from his hat at the time, being a gentleman born with a stake in the country, he, as a matter of fact, having gone into it more for the kudos of the thing than anything else, what's bred in the bone, instilled into him in infancy at his mother's knee, in the shape of knowing what good form was, came out at once because he turned round to the donor and thanked him with perfect aplomb, saying, Thank you, sir, though in a very different tone of voice from the ornament of the legal profession whose headgear Bloom also set to rights earlier in the course of the day, history repeating itself with a difference, after the burial of a mutual friend when they had left him alone in his glory after the grim task of having committed his remains to the grave. On the other hand, what incensed him more inwardly was the blatant jokes of the cabmen and so on, who passed it all off as a jest, laughing immoderately, pretending to understand everything, the why and the wherefore, and in reality not knowing their own minds, it being a case for the two parties themselves, unless it ensued that the legitimate husband happened to be a party to it, owing to some anonymous letter from the usual boy Jones, who happened to come across them at the crucial moment in a loving position, locked in one another's arms, drawing attention to their illicit proceedings. And leading up to a domestic rumpus, and the erring fair one begging forgiveness of her lord and master upon her knees, and promising to sever the connection and not receive his visits any more, if only the aggrieved husband would overlook the matter and let bygones be bygones, with tears in her eyes, though possibly with her tongue in her fair cheek at the same time, as quite possibly there were several others. He personally, being of a sceptical bias, believed and didn't make the smallest bones about saying so either, that man, or men in the plural, were always hanging around on the waiting list about a lady, even supposing she was the best wife in the world, and they got on fairly well together for the sake of argument, when, neglecting her duties, she chose to be tired of wedded life, and was on for a little flutter in polite debauchery to press their attentions on her with improper intent, the upshot being that her affections centred on another, the cause of many liaisons between still attractive married women getting on for fair and forty and younger men no doubt as several famous cases of feminine infatuation proved up to the hilt it was a thousand pities a young fellow blessed with an allowance of brains as his neighbor obviously was should waste his valuable time with profligate women who might present him with a nice dose to last him his lifetime in the nature of single blessedness he would one day take unto himself a wife when Miss Wright came on the scene, but in the interim, ladies' society was a conditio sin qua non. Though he had the gravest possible doubts, not that he wanted in the smallest to pump Stephen about Miss Ferguson, who was very possibly the particular lodestar who brought him down to Irish town so early in the morning, as to whether he would find much satisfaction basking in a boy and girl courtship idea, and the company of smirking misses, without a penny to their names, buy or try weekly, with the orthodox preliminary canter of compliment paying and walking out, leading up to fond lover's ways and flowers and chocks. To think of him, house and homeless, rooked by some landlady worse than any stepmother, was really too bad at his age. The queer, suddenly things he popped out with attracted the elder man, it was several years the other's senior, or like his father. But something substantial he certainly ought to eat, were it only an egg flip, made on unadulterated maternal nutriment, or, failing that, the homely Humpty Dumpty boiled. At what o'clock did you dine? He questioned of the slim form, and tired, though unwrinkled, face. Sometime yesterday, Stephen said. Yesterday, exclaimed Bloom, till he remembered it was already tomorrow, Friday. Ah, you mean it's after twelve, the day before yesterday, Stephen said, improving on himself. Literally astounded at this piece of intelligence, Bloom reflected. Though they didn't see eye to eye in everything, a certain analogy there somehow was, as if both their minds were travelling, so to speak, in the one train of thought. At his age, when dabbling in politics roughly some score of years previously, when he had been a quasi-aspirant to parliamentary honours, in the buckshot Forster days, he too recollected in retrospect, which was a source of keen satisfaction in itself, he had a sneaking regard for those same ultra ideas. For instance, when the evicted tenants question, then at its first inception, bolts largely in people's minds, though it goes without saying, not contributing a copper or pinning his faith absolutely to its dictums, some of which wouldn't exactly hold water, He at the outset in principle at all events was in thorough sympathy with peasant possession as voicing the trend of modern opinion, a partiality however which realising his mistake he was subsequently partially cured of and even was twitted with going a step further than Michael Davitt in the striking views he at one time inculcated as a back to the lander which was one reason he strongly resented the innuendo put upon him in so barefaced a fashion at the gathering of the clans, in Barney Kianens, so that he, though often considerably misunderstood, and the least pugnacious of mortals, be it repeated, departed from his customary habit to give him, metaphorically, one in the gizzard. Though, so far as politics themselves were concerned, he was only too conscious of the casualities, invariably resulting from propaganda and displays of mutual animosity, and the misery and suffering it entailed, as a foregone conclusion on fine young fellows, chiefly destruction of the fittest, in a word. Anyhow, upon weighing the pros and cons, getting on for one as it was, it was high time to be retiring for the night. The crux was it was a bit risky to bring him home as eventualities might possibly ensue, somebody having a temper of her own sometimes. And spoil the hash altogether, as on the night he misguidedly brought home a dog breed unknown, with a lame paw, not that the cases were either identical or the reverse, though he had hurt his hand too, to Ontario Terrace, as he distinctly remembered having been there, so to speak. On the other hand, it was altogether far and away too late for the Sandy Mount or Sandy Cove suggestion, so that he was in some perplexity as to which of the two alternatives. Everything pointed to the fact that it behoved him to avail himself to the full of the opportunity all things considered. His initial impression was that he was a bit standoffish, or not over-effusive, but it grew on him some way. For one thing, he mightn't what you call jump at the idea if approached, and what mostly worried him was he didn't know how to lead up to it, or word it exactly, supposing he did entertain the proposal, as it would afford him very great personal pleasure if he would allow him to help to put coin in his way or some wardrobe if found suitable. At all events, he wound up by concluding, issuing for the nonce hidebound precedent. A cup of Epps cocoa and a shakedown for the night, plus the use of a rug or two, an overcoat, doubled into a pillow. At least he would be in safe hands, and as warm as a toast on a trivet. He failed to perceive any very vast amount of harm, in that always, with the proviso, no rumpus of any sort was kicked up. A move had to be made, because that merry old soul the grass widower in question, who appeared to be glued to the spot, didn't appear in any particular hurry to wend his way home to his dearly beloved Queenstown, and it was highly likely some sponge's bawdy house of retired beauties off Sheriff Street, Lower, would be the best clue to that equivocal character's whereabouts for a few days to come. Alternatively racking their feelings, the mermaids, with six-chamber revolver anecdotes verging on a tropical, calculated to freeze the marrow of anybody's bones, and mauling their large-sized charms between whiles, with rough and tumble gusto to the accompaniment of large potations of pachin and the usual blarney about himself. For as to who he in reality was, let XX equal my right name and address, as Mr. Algebra remarks, pass him. At the same time, he inwardly chuckled over his repartee to the blood and oons champion about his god being a Jew. People could put up with being bitten by a wolf, but what properly riled them was a bite from a sheep. The most vulnerable point two of tender Achilles, your god was a Jew, because mostly they appeared to imagine he came from Carrick on Shannon or somewhere about in the county Sligo. I propose, our hero eventually suggested, after mature reflection, while prudently pocketing her photo. As it's rather stuffy here, you just come with me and talk things over. My diggings are quite close in the vicinity. You can't drink that stuff. Wait, I'll just pay this lot. The best plan clearly being to clear out, the remainder being plain sailing, he beckoned while prudently pocketing the photo to the keeper of the shanty, who didn't seem to. Yes, That's the best, he assured Stephen, to whom, for the matter of that brazen head, or him, or anywhere else, was all more or less.